You're listening to TWN Champions, episode 29. Champions, arise! Welcome to the Champions Countdown Podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum or something like that. This is episode number 29. I'm Will, and with me is the Queen of Carabiners, it's Rebecca! Uh, (laughs) I wasn't a very good Tarzan. I didn't practice it. Ma'am, you don't have to do that every time. (laughs) I was was maybe going to do a Hacksaw Jim Duggan, but that would have been really confusing. Oh, I think everybody at the carabiner ropes course would appreciate that it's like <laughs> ma'am put down the two by f- no it's pretty awesome you can have the two by four if you're in a line to get hacksaw jim duggan's autograph everyone in line will have a carabiner on their person you just don't know where <laughs> That's but true. they're all they all have one hanging off their fanny packs yeah is like carabiner a, a real dad did you know people who had carabiners no yeah i feel like my whole introduction to the world of them comes from you talking about boy scouts and so forth so that's that's really like my knowledge of a good carabiner Although, yeah, it's a real Scoutmaster accessory, yeah, it I is. Think. I was going to say, we you had You put a, your mug on it? I've seen Scoutmasters put mugs on them, too. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, it's like people who were into, like, climbing sports, which is not really friends that I hung out with. They yeah. were not into, like, climbing. But, yeah, no, a coffee cup, is that's that's where it's at. That's, yeah, that's, that's, where, that's what I'd use mine I love it because it was also inactive. It was like, I'm an outside man, but uh, this is for a mug, not for, like, repelling or anything. Now, I do have to say, it's because when you get older, you don't care. Like, you don't care <laughs> how you look. And so, like, I don't do a carabiner, but, like, when I take a road trip, especially by myself, I have a clip that goes to my belt loop for my car key. Oh. So that I will never, while I'm on a road trip, I will never be in a position where I, um, you know, like, oh, I locked myself out oh, of the car. Smart. That's not going to happen because of my, my big dad energy That's clip. a good Girl Scout uh, tip. It maybe. is. That it would is. Be, that would be good for your I encourage Girl everybody to do the same because you'll look real awesome. Rebecca, what are we talking about on today's show? On today's show, we'll be counting down our favorite picks of the swingers, rope people, <laughs> grappling hook a uh, zip line mm-hmm. archetype. Uh-huh. We're calling them swingers, okay? It made us laugh. It made it made us laugh, okay? We'll explain it more in a second, but it's a top eight. I have four. Will has three, and we'll be hearing from our pal, socially distant Scott, in this episode right. for his pick. And it's a pretty good one. It made me laugh a lot. And if you have listened to this show at all in the past, it will make a lot of sense why we invited Scott for this episode about zip lines and rappelling and all, all kinds of rope work. Yes, all the, all the rope work. That's Scott's domain. <laughs> Very much so. Okay, well, Rebecca, we were kind of tiptoeing around it, but um, let's do let's get a better definition for swingers. I, we, 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 this <laughs> okay. was also a good word, I think, because it was pretty broad to encapsulate a lot of people in this family. Yeah, swingers is what we're saying, but this is not swingers in a not, not safe in Austin word. Powers Wait. way. No, that is incorrect. No, it's not the swingers we're going for here. All right, we are. We I just mentioned I did the rundown, like all of the swinger types that we're including. 
And we're tracing these types of characters back to adventure stories in general. So if you're like, what do you mean like swingers? Uh Okay, so it's a genre of fiction that goes back literally forever. Um, The format is your protagonist is thrust into danger and there's a sense of urgency throughout the story so they can save the world, comma, get married at the end. Like that's, that's how it all is. That's how they have to end, usually. So there's like um, a romance tent to these two. There actually, there is, which I was, like, it makes sense now that you say it out, you know, like when you say it out loud, you're like, yeah, I guess that is true. But that has been baked into the genre from the beginning. Um, and in fact, we have at least one surviving Greek manuscript that was dated about 300 AD. So a novel called Ethiopica by Heliodorus. which involves a pair of lovers trying to escape capture, and then they were being beset by pirates, bandits, etc. The story is, like all Greek stories, pretty bonkers. It's way more complicated than that. But there is romance in it, Uh and and it's like, you know, not necessarily star-crossed lovers, because I feel that they live happily ever after. I don't know. But yeah, like, uh, there's romance and thrilling, daring adventure. Okay. All right. So later on, when mass literacy starts to take off, you know, that hot new craze. Then that's when you get all the adventure stories that we know of from printed fiction in the 1800s. So that, you know, we had them always. And then when cheap, cheaper printing became a thing, we got like Sir Walter Scott, Alexander Dumas, Jules Verne, Victor Hugo, Robert Louis Stevenson, like all of those. Okay. okay. That genre of writers or like that group of writers. Because people needed cheap novels to read even before there were airports to be stuck at to read them in. (laughs) And then, of course, that just keeps on morphing and growing. And then we get to like the comics and pulp magazines of like the 40s and 50s. So the adventure story has just been with us for all time in every medium. And so a big piece of that is people who swing around on things when they go to these exotic locations? Yes. So, like, how do we get to our swingers? Okay, so a key feature of the stories is, of course, a description of the fighting. And they figured out pretty fast that you can't just describe a bunch of punching, because that's (laughs) not interesting, right? What? Uh, Do you remember that sort of trolley fan fiction that somebody did when Diablo 3 came out? Yeah, I was thinking about this when you said it. Yes, you know, it's just like, and then he hit the demon, and he hit it again. And then he clicked, and then he clicked, and then he clicked. (laughs) And then he hit another demon, and then he hit five demons. Like, it was really (laughs) funny. Um, But, yeah, that's not going to fly as a novelization. Like, you're not going to want to read the novel of that, literally. So... We need some good action for our tar- adventure stories, and that's when we start getting our heroes using the environment. So that's like Tarzan. Uh-huh. So he's like one of our first dudes. We want to propel them around the space and make them imaginative and interesting because actual fights, fun fact, are very boring. It's just a bunch of guys grappling and getting winded easily. You know, <laughs> it's, not, it's not fun in real life to watch a fight. So um, this will make its way into comics. And um, so by, by the time, you know, we have Tarzan and he's like a big sort of proponent of swinging, right? Mm-hmm. And using his environment. And then by the time we get to like the golden age of comics, we got Spider-Man carrying the banner for our friendly neighborhood swingers and slingers, right? So like th- those are kind of like the two crystallization moments, I think. And those are the people that we're kind of keeping in mind when we make this list. Okay. Which is incredibly succinct, given that this history dates back to the beginning of time. I just want to say. I think I think that <laughs> I think that's very true. Um, and you know, usually you'll do you know one of us does like the history, one of us will do like modern representations. I think you probably captured um, two of the 
three big ones that I have. I thought of breaking these swingers down into three types that I think pretty much capture everybody. Um, and the first one is what you said. These are the uh, adventurers. And so these would be people from the 1800s adventure stories. But also, we sort of got a shot in the arm with them when comics got big with Superman in the 1940s. And they had to quickly make adventure stories. And so the quickest way to like, well, what were our adventure stories? Oh, we've got the 1800s books laying around. So it's sort of like those got a second win. And that's why you see all those 1800s characters showed up in the Golden Age comics. Because Superman just came out. Comics are awesome. Let's start pumping them out. Yeah. And so you get some of those. And so I think Tarzan's a good example of that. Um, and I think it's kind of a through line through all these um, swinging characters. That I think they say something about like the type of freedom that we want during these different periods yeah there we go and i might i might sort of revisit that for some of mine I, it seems sort of obnoxious but i i was struck by how that kind of shows shows up i think uh I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that through line i'm kind of i'm feeling okay this. okay um, okay and then uh the second one i think is what i would call like urban swingers like um spider-man is the mm -hmm. good example of that um because Whereas before, maybe people wanted to escape society. They thought about going into these uh, uncharted areas. That's not a, we don't have that anymore. By like the 60s, everything is dense cities. There's modern civilizations everywhere. And so they want a way to circumnavigate all the density and dirtiness of cities and all the people. And so it's a way to like uh, be free in the society. Yeah. You know? um, and then the third one, I think that we'll see uh, is what I would call like combat swingers. And so these are people that heavily incorporate zip lines and grappling hooks and cables and fast roping in organized combat operations. Okay. Now, I did write down a couple of notes about zip line history. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would love I was, to hear I just, that. I just happen to know this. Okay, so, so these are our, our combat swingers that we're talking about. I just want you to know that the first recorded use of a zip line as a form of entertainment was possibly 1739. <laughs> When Robert Cadman, a steeplejack and rope slider, <laughs> died when descending from Shrewsbury's St. Mary's Church when his rope snapped. So he this was, shout be awesome. Yes, exactly. He was ziplining for the fun of it in the 1700s. He was a, he was a uh, what'd you call a steeple? Steeplechase. That's a great. Or, I'm sorry, a steeplejack. Great a steeplejack. occupation. It was. I had to look that up, too. It's like that Wikipedia rat, rabbit hole. So, But those were guys who would, like, build scaffolding to get up to the top of steeples to, like, yeah. when they needed repairing. I'm them. but a simple steeplejack. That yeah, is a great, that is a great, great occupation, occupation. occupation to say that you are. Like, I feel like we don't have enough scaffolding romance and, yeah. and, and adventure in our lives. So, I yeah, really feel this like was not related to steeplejacking. He just got no. up there. He's like, he just I've loved been thinking about this. <laughs> just love the thrill of it all and then it's also worth mentioning that there are like people's like um there are agricultural societies in like uh the mountainous regions of south america like in like bolivia who use zip lines in their everyday lives because really? they have to cross like you know some perilous passes and honestly the zip line is just the fastest way to get across wow. you, you've got your coca leaves or whatever and you're like that's awesome. Yeah. I had so, no idea. Yeah, that's... zip lining is part of everyday life for some people in the world, you know. That's cool. I yes. So there there's all your history you needed to know about zip lining. Although I'm sure is there is there anything else we need to set this up with before we get into our swingers? I don't think so. I think I think we got our types. I think we know where it comes from. I, I think it's time to okay. time to zip around. <laughs> so we ready to zoop. All right, hook on that carabiner. Make sure it's tight. <laughs> 
Number eight. Until she got to the important part at the end. And then Lyle shot him. So Lyle is in jail, and George is with me. And I don't want to marry Lyle anymore. I knew it. It's that swinging man from the bridge. I saw you smooching on TV. Mother, we weren't smooching. You... How could you do this to me? Don't you realize the caliber of people who are going to be here? Calm down, Beatrice, and let her see. I thought we would be introducing them to Lyle Vandergroot, not some wild man you found in the jungle. Beatrice, this is supposed to be her wedding, not yours. All right, we've mentioned Tarzan, so I want to get our Tarzan dude and my 90s pick out of the way first. So okay. at number eight, I'm giving you George of the Jungle, specifically the 1997 version starring Brendan Fraser. Oh, okay? I didn't actually see this. Okay, I did yesterday, so I'll, I'll, I'll catch you up. <laughs> but the, So the background on George of the Jungle... It was a 1967 cartoon series by Jay Ward and Bill Scott. So that was the Rocky and Bullwinkle dudes. Oh, okay. okay. And it was like a spoof on Tarzan stories. Because like it's like you said earlier, during sort of the comic series era, like the golden age of comics, they were revisiting all those fun 19th century adventure stories, right? Oh, yeah. And so I'm, I'm guessing, too, because they used the old adventure stories for the 40s era comics, that's why we see a lot of adventure heroes get mixed up in World War II. Yeah, I guess so. So, so that's so it's not because there was something in the zeitgeist that's related to adventure in World <gasps> War II so much as it is that they got popular again during World War II and just made sense. These are the heroes we have. Of course, they're going to fight in World War II. This is fascinating. I, I didn't even write this down, but this was part of the, uh, the Wikipedia article. Apparently, when the guy invented, the guy who invented George of the Jungle did so while he was on minesweeper duty in the Navy wow. during World War II. Wow. Isn't that interesting? So there was really something like, there was, people were, I guess, thinking about the types of freedom that that old sense yeah. of adventure like that old adventure story gave you that personal freedom feeling i guess yeah and, and not even being funny about it i mean i can imagine very practically somebody's doing minesweeper duty would be thinking about ways to like get traverse over the ground without touching the ground you I know? Mean, it's, it's i mean it's it's fast i like it's kind of crazy now that that all is coming together so quickly at the beginning <laughs> but like yeah like the all the way that these seeds for the adventure stories keep cropping up um, over and over again during our cultural history. It's kind of fascinating. Yeah, that's interesting. So, um, but, so he was, so, but George of the Jungle, he's like a spoof character, right? See, I, like, I always confl conf conflated in my mind. I guess I never really thought, I, I held them in the same place in my mind, Tarzan and George of the Jungle. They are two different right. things. All right, so George of the Jungle was like kind of a parody character because, of course, Tarzan is like really dramatic and thrilling and cool, but, of course, George of the Jungle is a buffoon, right? Like he's, getting running into trees like the theme song that's what we think of when we think of george of the jungle and he's being rescued and helped frequently by his ape named ape oh that's his, great his elephant named shep and his girlfriend ursula george 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 of the jungle strong as he can be ah! watch out for that tree george 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 of the jungle lives a life that's free is Ursula, um, she also have swinging skills or stuff, or she just sort she, of hang out? Well, so, like, I don't know what the cartoon deal was, but, like, I, well, it's, it probably was, like, she was kind of like an anthropologist oh, lady. Oh, okay. And she does learn how to swing in the movie. Okay, so, so she's uh, Jane. So she, yeah, yeah, so she's okay. Jane. 
Uh, the cartoon, she was redheaded. Okay. Um, in this film, the 1997 in version. In the 60s, all, girlfriend, all comic girlfriends are redheaded. Well, yeah. Okay. Like, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> we know a good look when we see one. <laughs> no, but, okay, so I'm picking the 1997 version. And why am I doing that? A couple of reasons. First of all, back in the 90s, we used to love nothing more than watching Brendan Fraser play a man out of time. Encino Man. Yeah. Or A Man Out of Place, yeah. this film. Or A Man Out of Time and Place, Blast from the Past. Huh. Like, he was just, that was a thing we all loved in the 90s. was like, let's put Brendan Fraser in some situations and see his natural charm, you know, I don't know, to save the day. It's funny because he isn't really an everyman. You don't look at him and be like, that's like if I was Encino Man. He's just entertaining. Yeah, and it is funny because he got pretty shredded for this film. Oh, like, funny. it's funny to imagine poor '90s Brendan Fraser like being like, "Okay, I gotta like." I thought I was gonna be Polly Shore. <laughs> yeah, like I gotta eat like 200 grams of protein, uh, but it's gotta be 1600 calories so I can have visible abs, so I can be George of the Jungle. <laughs> Maybe that's why he was in shape in the Mummy. Probably so. But okay, plot of the movie because I know you're not all gonna go watch this film. The film begins with a wealthy scumbag. Lyle Vandegroot, mm -hmm. tracking down his heiress fiance. Um, this is Ursula, played by the adorable Leslie Mann. So uh -huh. that's who, like, she's not a redhead in this film because it's Leslie Mann and it's her cute curly blonde hair. And um, she's she's just adorable. So she's like a crocodile hunter sort of TV lady in the remote African wilderness. And you know it's the wilderness because she's wearing belted khakis and she's got no makeup makeup, which in the 90s meant she has very thin brows and brown lipstick. Because, again, this is the 90s. And we know that Lyle Vandegroot is a scumbag because he's always using his cell phone. Because oh, in the 90s, funny. if you were always talking on your cell phone, that's how everyone knows that you're just like a jerk. It's oh. like, can you get, get a load of that guy and his cell phone? What's so important that he's got to have his phone? Remember how we used to just like make fun of people with phones? And now we all have them and we can't stop looking at them. Oh, that's funny. It's weird. And then also because he's wearing a sweater and khakis and an ascot. That's, so that's how you know he's a jerk. All right. So a couple things you need to know about this movie. At one point, George of the Jungle does go to San Francisco. Don't uh -huh. worry about it. He does do a swing of Daring Do off the Golden Gate Bridge. Okay. Cementing his place on this list. And then another thing is there was a lot of reuse of like monkey reaction shots. And I guess it's because like the monkey union would not let them do more than like an hour of shooting at a time. So they were like, look, Lucian, my capuchin over here, you got what you're going to get out of him today. Just reuse the clips. And yeah. they had a lot of like George would do something silly and then the monkeys react. So, oh. so that was fun. Like, all the clips are from Dunstan Checks In. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> it's just like, why does he have a bellhop cap? <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, most important is that this is a nineties retelling of the story that I love, which is when they, when they take someone's simple, noble values and contrast them with the go-go scumbag nineties where everyone's uh -huh. got a car phone and a cell phone. Uh -huh. And, um, the real jungle is of course the terrible world of the 1%. Oh, that's yeah. great. It is great. Thanks a lot. Oh, so he... He started as an adventure swinger and became an urban swinger. It's true. But then in the end, he goes back to his home. Oh, okay. But they they get married. And so, you know, they're just living a cool life in the jungle. Oh, okay. And Ape, the ape, he talks and he's smart. So that's I, all. I like that. That's all pretty fun. I'm I just saying. I hope he gets a pipe. <laughs> I hope he does too if he wants one. George, George, George of the jungle, friend to you and me. 
Excited about this pick because it was probably the inspiration for this topic. I think this is what this is what I was thinking of. I was like, you know what? I would like to see more of this in different ways. Uh, this is a man named Rad Spencer, better known as the Bionic Commando from the 1987 Nintendo game. Now, is Rad short for anything besides Radical? No, it was definitely <laughs> just because Radical was what we were thinking about. You know what? If I would have known about this, I would have loved it because I had a cousin Spencer. I mean, still do. Oh. And we thought he was pretty rad. So yeah. if we would have known that there was a video game character named Rad Spencer, I feel like we would have been all over that. <laughs> yeah, sunglasses and stuff. He was pretty cool. <laughs> and because I assumed you didn't play this game, I want to do a, a fun exercise. I'm going to tell you all the cool stuff about this guy. But okay. it's 1986, and you, yeah, Rebecca, it is. you Me. are stuck on a high-speed train with the head of Nintendo and he asks you to pitch him a game idea. Your mind races, but you remember you have a napkin where you wrote the words Bionic Commando the night before in a fit of inspiration. <laughs> what do you tell this man about the game called Bionic Commando? Oh, my God. Okay. All right. I'm going to pretend like I'm He's I ready. Just... His arms are crossed. He's ready. This is your big, big moment. Okay. There is a man trapped in a, an urban jungle... Uh, super advanced alien landscape and the only weapon he has is his mind <laughs> which he uses to send out bionic waves <laughs> that are going to incapacitate his enemies and perhaps move the environment to help him fight How'd um, I do? it is an urban jungle i like the idea about bionic waves that that's pretty. That's pretty good. Well, it come from his own body. What else is oh, he gonna fight yeah, with? Okay, that's that's pretty. That's pretty fun. Well, it is a super soldier special forces idea. Um, uh, I'll start with I'll start with the basics. His is the bionic part is his arm. Well, why aren't okay? they going? Okay, well that's fine, but I still think it should be like his head. Okay, and then also, um, are they gonna make my game? <laughs> um, they're like, going to think about it. They're going to, you know, we're going to take a, we're going to uh, have some people look at. It. We might take a pass at, at your script, but it's not bad. I would play my game. Okay, I, I do. I like the alien. I like the alien approach. Like, what if he could do like bionic bubbles out of his mind? Like I'm mixing bionic like psionic. You okay, know what I mean? okay. Like psionic bubbles. They come out of his mind, and then they could like capture his enemies, or he could like make one and then float it. That in. sounds like a Nintendo game. I know. That sounds anyway. good. This was one of the wire action games made by the game designer Takuro Fujiwara, sometimes called Professor F, who worked on Ghost and Goblins and Mega Man and some of the others. It's set in an alternate timeline sometime in the 80s, and there's a gross Nazi holdover group who find an abandoned secret project from the 40s. And the good guys, the Republic, send over their national hero, Super Joe, to steal the plans. But he drops out of contact. Now you, the Bionic Commando, have to infiltrate the evil empire, save Super Joe, and get those plans. So that's your mission. Are you ready to learn about your powers? Yes. Will Super Joe be grateful to see me, or will he be mad that he had to get rescued? Yes, I'll tell you, at the end, they set it up like an old war movie, where it's Super Joe uh, reminiscing about this mission, and he hopes everybody remembers uh, Rad Spencer. Oh, that's nice. Okay, so he's gracious. Yeah, he's looking at an old photograph at the end of them, the soldier celebrating. That's very sweet. It's pretty cool. Okay, your first power is you cannot jump. (laughs) Okay, just like in real life. Yeah, so you have to use your weapons and your bionic arm to defeat enemies and navigate around the level. 
You can extend your arm above, forward, and at a 45-degree angle, and you can attach <laughs> the objects to swing across chasms. I was going to say, well, those are the good, those are the your main directions there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, 33 degrees, that can of soup's not getting any closer. No. You're not going to okay. do that. Uh, so a few things to mention here, and then a thought about swashbuckling. Um, on the game itself, I can see why I didn't get very far in this as a kid. Uh, it is very dense. The story has a lot of stuff that I think would go over a kid's head. Like, first of all, all the stuff about, like, the World War II stuff, they toned that down a bit for the localized port, which I think is a little much anyway for, for kids. So... You know. At the very least, I don't think they quite understand a cell of Nazi remnant people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make, I mean, you know, that doesn't really track. I think, yeah, in, so in I totally mind. didn't even track that when, when I was a kid. I didn't put that together. Um, but then also you get this these really complicated military orders constantly through the game where you, <laughs> you run into these soldiers and they say things to you like, Second Battalion moving to Area 4. Don't forget to take a flare gun with you when you enter Area 4. It's like, what? That's, I'm just shooting things. Yeah, like, okay, that's, like, really complex instruction for a guy who can only punch in three directions. I know. He's like, I thought I was going to be grappling and stuff. I don't know about, about that. But then I was going to talk a little bit about the swashbuckling part. So you're a bionic commando. We talked a little bit about bionics. This is an artificial imitation of a biological system, like an arm. So I was thinking in the golden age, if swashbuckling was like freedom from the world and mastery over it, then this good modern update would be like freedom of body and mastery over it. It's like a post-human idea. I like that a lot. I think, and I think we'll see that more. Like it sort of evolves because there, like I was saying, there's no uncharted areas. This is just, this is the type of freedom where we'd be thinking about now. Especially given, as I described earlier, real fights are terrible. Like, they're not fun. There's, yeah. there's, nothing, there's nothing beautiful or balletic about them. That makes you know sense. what I mean? Yeah. yeah, we really need to be able to have more freedom over our bodies. Right, we wouldn't see Bionic Commando in Swan Lake. Yes, he would do an excellent job in three directions. <laughs> He's like, I cannot pirouette, okay? Like, <laughs> you're going to get a three-point turn like a car. <laughs> <laughs> Number six. This is an excellent carry on of that theme, okay? Because at number six, I give you Vin, the protagonist from Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn series. Uh huh. Okay, and this is actually really. Uh, dovetails perfectly with what you said because I do see a sort of a through line in all of these stories where a lot of the swingers are about just the beauty of propelling your body through space. Okay. You know what I mean? Like there's a real artistry in how you do it. And even if what you're doing is fighting, you know, or whatever, or using your body in the environment, it's like you can feel sort of the sense of, rhythm and choreography oh well you think about spider-man like yeah, especially exactly. like in the new spider-man yeah. games um you know you do all the acrobatics in there that's the fun part and that is the fun part and that is sort of like the beauty of the character is that freedom that you have uh to propel your body through space so like with that in mind i think this is actually a really good pick and so i'm going to explain to you a little bit about this this is an audi's book trilogy fantasy book obviously um, that has not yet been ruined with the television series. So if you want to read a fun little fantasy series and imagine the characters without seeing an actor's face, do it now. 
before they do, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna do y'all a favor. My mom loves when there's an actor's face attached to it. It's like she's Isn't annoyed. That funny? She's like annoyed if there hasn't been a movie or a TV. It's like she, I don't know who to picture. I don't know who to picture. Where she has to like imagine their faces in, instead of having an actor's face to clearly substitute. Yeah, she in needs her to look at me like, okay, this is Pierce Brosnan. Now I got it. Okay. <laughs> See, that is so funny. I like to imagine faces that I like to imagine them to not look like anybody. Oh, I of course, think of. yes, it completely ruins. It's like somebody else's story. They've already been all over it and had their relationship with the characters. I can't I can't enter the story. Yeah. Yeah. N- no offense to Pierce Brosnan, but <laughs> no. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> that's really funny. So no no TV series yet for Mistborn, although I'm sure they will, although they'll, they'll, they're going to need a lot of carabiners You're wearing on that a, set. a blanket of your shoulders kind of like Vin's uh, cape. From she does the... have a cloak. Yeah. There's some good fashion in this, okay. in this series. I'm going to do a favor, though, and not tell you the larger plot of these books if there's a lot of plot proper nouns yeah. and it's going to make you very tired. But I will say about this character, Vin, and about the series, Mistborn, is that the highlight of the series is the magic system. Uh-huh. Okay. <clears throat> it's a form of metal magic, which is not what happens when Christopher Lee covers your... <laughs> Heavy metal song. Yeah. No, this is, um, they call it allomancy, and the people with magic in the series will ingest little flakes of allomantic metals in a little vial. So, like little flecks of iron, steel, copper, like all the different metals and alloys. Because cancer did not exist in this world. Correct. So, it, it's like gold schlager, but yeah. they're not, it's not for underage drinking. <laughs> okay. And then they burn the metal in their bellies to do powers, and that's how they describe it. They're described in terms of pushing and pulling against metals in the environment, but okay. it's not like Magneto. They're not, like, bringing metal to them like a giant It's magnet. actually based on, like, physics. Yeah, yeah. Um, so our protagonist, Vin, starts out as part of a gang of street thieves, but then she learns, you know, she's got these allomantic powers, and she learns how to use them more. And then she gets to, like, learn how to start propelling her body through space with her allomantic powers, and then they get to all zoop around the city at night, almost like flight using the system, where they eat their medals, and then they drop a coin on the ground and then push off against it mentally. So I'm going to read you a little passage, if if I may favor you with a reading. Yeah, I think I know what you're, what you're, which one you're talking about, too. Oh, say, oh, good, the Clovis mentioned. Okay. Vin pushed against the coin and threw herself up into the mist. She flew away from earth and stone, soaring through the dark current of the sky, wind fluttering her cloak. We get her cloak. Mm-hmm. This is freedom, she thought, breathing deeply of the cool, damp air. She closed her eyes, feeling the passing wind. This is what I was always missing, yet never knew it. Okay, so this is a little bit more. Uh, She tossed a coin backward, then used it to push herself slightly up into the right. She landed on a low stone wall, barely breaking stride as she ran spryly along the wall's top. Burning pewter enhanced more than muscles. It increased all the body's physical abilities. And then, so, like, that's what she's doing. She's, like, pushing against the metals and jumping and soaring up through the air. This is, like, completely about the physical freedom, uh-huh. right? And, and this is an urban one because it's very much a stuck-in-the-city yes. uh, Victorian uh, dirtiness, um, parapets and all that stuff. And these allomancers are part of an underclass. Like, that, like it's not allowed. Like, they're not uh-huh. supposed to be doing it. So it's it. a mobility in that society, in that city, too. Yes, yes. So because she even was going to balls and stuff by this point. She wasn't supposed to. And- <clears throat> Oh, right. She was infiltrating the ri- the uh-huh. richos like uh, the Vandergroots of Georgia yes. the Jungle. Yes. 
So, I mean, you know, if there's ever a Mistborn video game, it would be very fun to swing around the city pushing off the different metals. And uh, if you're into, like, a, an easily digestible fantasy series and you've not picked up Mistborn, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fun little read. Um, I, I give you no promises beyond that, but it is really satisfying reading about their little magic system with the metals. Like, you know that Brandon Sanderson just sat down and wrote it because he was like, yeah, this is a good idea, you know? <laughs> They're eating their little flakes and then bouncing off the city like Daredevil, but with cloaks. Number five. He appears to others as a blithe playboy, but secretly, he is a dark avenger for justice. He is Zorro! Do most people know about Zorro these days, you think? I don't know. It struck me as I was doing it. It's like, I don't know that this is a common cultural touchstone the way we might assume. We've not had any Zorro reboots for a while. I don't think so. I feel like we're due for one. Yeah, I wonder if there's an age cutoff where this starts being a common reference. Probably so, because like we knew about it. Even very shortly um, younger than us, I think. Like Even my sister, who's three years younger, I don't know if Zorro is... She would know who it is, but... What do you think? Like five years younger than us? Then probably not, because the last of it was that the Mask of Zorro that they made in the mid nineties, and then okay, they had yeah. a sequel, like maybe a couple years later. Yeah, so like today's youth do not know the the Zorro. I don't think so. I I know what I know. Just talking about Zorro, I know exactly what you're thinking. We're talking about uh, cultural references. I know you always, we always talk about that Simpsons episode. You go, Zorro. Yeah. Well they, I know. I can't, I can't help but think of that. That yes. was so funny when they had that, that terrible movie. And I always think about the uh, Roseanne episode when Darlene comes back from the mall and all her clothes are black and Roseanne's like, oh, I see you got Zorro's bag. Oh, I didn't remember that joke. <laughs> That's cute. So uh, he has, Zorro has a very long legacy dating back to a pulp magazine in 1919. And he's been in that's, e- that's been a day every too. type of media since. If you need a refresher, he is a Spanish vigilante dressed all in black with a mask, a cowboy hat, I think a gaucho hat, and a cape. And he fights for the peasants and indigenous people of Spanish California during the early 1800s. Okay, that is so sad that he's been around that long and he's not on a- any and on every medium. You know what I mean? Zorro TikTok. I'm just gonna look. Yeah. No. Okay. So this is my challenge. I've just looked for Zorro TikToks, okay? There's someone in One Piece named Zorro. It is not the Zorro we know. I just challenge young people to go make, to put on the outfit and do some sword fighting on a TikTok, please. He is very cool. He is very his, cool. His outfit still He's stands up very well. good look. Actually, you know what? Here's one cultural touchstone that I think we do still have now. There is a hipster country, alt country singer named Orville Peck. He wears a Zorro mask in fringe over his face to hide oh. his face. 
And that is like Zorro influence. I got it. Okay. But that's about the only Zorro influence I'm seeing these days. And what is wrong with this world? We <laughs> need, you know, the world went downhill when we stopped having films about Zorro. Well, Prove me wrong. And we'll talk about it. But Zorro, I think, represents something very important. We need more of. Yeah, right let's now. let's let's understand Zorro. Okay. okay. Well, if you if it's sort of coming back to you, you might flash to Zorro's trademark move, which is. Um, when he strikes at the corrupt elites, he slashes a Z for Zorro, usually on uh, somebody's clothes or maybe on their neck, like as a reminder that Zorro is watching to see if you're hurting his people. Three men, three gods. A small memento of Mexico. Rafael, to remind you not to return. Uh, this is about swinging people, though. So you might be thinking, does he have spider webs, a grappling hook? No, he has incredible parkour skills that let him swing through trees and especially from chandeliers and balconies. There we he go. He is constantly doing this. He's a perfect swashbuckler who can't be touched by the corrupt police. It would have been very much an influence on like Errol Flynn and that sort of thing. Uh, right, so right, yeah. Yeah, the Robin, Robin Hood had that a whole lot of that element of the, the swashbuckler. Yes. There's a lot of actually similarities, Yes, I think, and those uh, yeah, and there's a lot of interplay between these stories during this time. And so that's a great time to talk about what inspired what and where this came from. I was going to say, so Zorro was like Robin Hood, but like sexier. Exactly, <laughs> and and probably the big one, if you're wondering about his costume his goth. and knowing that he has a double identity and he's protecting a city and whether maybe he inspired Batman, definitely, and probably inspired superheroes, period. In fact, that's the movie that Bruce Wayne saw on that big night at the theater uh -oh. um, um, <laughs> that gave him the idea to what to, how to become Batman. He, he saw the first uh, Zorro movie at the theater that he came out with his parents. Oh. And here's a quote from that original Zorro story in the Pulp uh, magazine in 1990, uh, 1919. This is uh, Zorro talking to his friends when they find out that um, Diego is Zorro. He says, One half of me was the languid Don Diego you all knew, and the other half was the curse of Capistrano I hoped one day to be. And then the time came, and my work began. Which sounds just like Batman. Yeah. <clears throat> and then... Zorro himself comes from a few places. The character was created by this guy named Johnston McCulley, who was an Illinois police reporter and a World War I vet, and he probably based the story of Zorro, which means fox in Spanish, on Mexican folk tales about a noble bandit, but with a dose of some other stuff like the Scarlet Pimpernel, who has a foppish secret identity. And people loved it, like tons of books, movies, and all that good stuff. And I think our generation probably saw him first in the syndicated live-action TV show from Disney that ran from 57 to 59. Okay, right, yeah. That's, that's how I knew it. I watched a ton of those. Um, and I won't get into it this podcast, but I watched a lot of black and white stuff when I was a kid because my parents thought I needed to, and so this was allowed, so I could watch that. <laughs> Will had too much of an active imagination. <laughs> so, They're like, on, sit down here and watch the Andy Griffith show. More on that, maybe never. So you um, don't jump off any more platforms because you think you're Robin Hood. <laughs> And then finally, just to sort of close out on Zorro, um, I think there are signs that Zorro could come back. We had uh, the, the cool movies in the 90s with Antonio Banderas, which I think was the first time a Spanish person was in the lead role, weirdly. Um, it, it was Guy Williams was in the big 1940s <laughs> movie. And, I think, or, and then like Power, Tyrone Power, or, I think. And then there's uh, a TV show in the works being developed by Robert Rodriguez and Sofia Vergara. Is that her name? Uh-huh. Um, about a modern female descendant of Zorro. What 
that sounds cute. It's called Z something. It's like in a modern like Mexico and, and like corrupt elites that. and stuff. It sounds pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I hope they do good. Zorro shall strike again. Yeah, Zorro appreciation post. <laughs> my next pick and a quality pick at that indiana jones uh-huh all right okay now star wars has force pushed its way into the public consciousness so much at this point that it's easy to forget that harrison ford was not just han solo <laughs> he had this whole other popular mega franchise that he participated in with George Lucas. Participated in. What? <laughs> it sounds very passive. It's very well, funny. Well, that's how he sees it. He's very much just after his That's patient. true. That's true. Um, so also, th- congratulations on the force force push quip. It was pretty good. Thank pretty you. Pretty good. Well, you know, I, I thought about it for a minute, okay? <laughs> I was like, what's a good Star Wars thing I can say? But that is true. That is a great point. Of We're so Star Wars out right now. You forget, like, yeah, Indiana Jones. It was massive. That was a pretty big deal. And it was his big deal. Yes. Because it had been a while since we had a Star Wars while the Indiana Jones stuff was going, That's I think. true. Yeah, and it, it was like super duper big time, and there were like several films, and they all made a ton of money. So Indiana Jones films. This is like the 80s boy version of the misrepresented careers that you were led to believe were much more glamorous yeah. than they actually were. You know, because I have said before on this and the other podcast that I always thought that, like, careers would be very high stakes and very high fashion. You know, I thought there'd be, you're going into a skyscraper and there's some kind of enemy trying to steal your business secrets on a hang glider and you're in a power suit. Like, I thought that's what jobs were. I got that idea from Jim and the Holograms, Uh right? Okay, I think a lot of people got the idea that archaeology was awesome. From Indiana Jones. Yeah, you're constantly looking for uh, the word of God written on uh, tablets and uh, (laughs) jumping over snakes. And like, I'll be a professor and get the free coffee, but sometimes. (laughs) And that is funny because you do see Indiana Jones in the classroom occasionally throughout the film series. I would love to see like a um, modern Indiana Jones, uh, like satirical cartoon series, like in the vein of Harley Quinn, where, like, he has to go to, like, professor office hours and wait for kids that don't show up. Yeah, like, like they're all, like, dissing him on his Zoom office hours, and he has a TA who's, like, so tired. <laughs> and he's got terrible reviews, and they were always trying to get him to sign up for committees. God, that <laughs> yeah, sounds fun. That does sound funny. And, like, for some reason, he still hasn't gotten tenure, and he's like, I discovered the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and then and then the paper wants to do a story with him, and the university PR liaison is trying to coach him how to do an interview, and he's just seething. He's ignoring all those emails. <laughs> yes. I support this vision. Uh, so the, the original indie actually takes place in the 30s, which is not something you really think of during mm-hmm. the 80s, because like, you just think everything is the 80s, right? But they blended a lot of real historical elements with imaginative fantasy elements, for example, like we just mentioned, uh, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, Indy went against the Nazis 
Yep. Here they are again to locate the Ark of the Covenant before the Nazis do. And it was a biblical artifact like in, quote, real life. But yeah. in the film, it has like powers. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, that's all. Oh, yeah. When those uh, angels come out at the end, that's pretty cool stuff. So um, the reason why Indy is a swinger is because he has his famed bullwhip uh-huh. that he is always using to cross chasms and whip around pillars and pull them and move them and move himself and s- swing on things, right? Because obviously when you're out there looking for historical artifacts, it's not just you sitting in a field with a brush <laughs> trying not to break some bones or pottery shards. No, you are in an ancient rock temple with a lot of uh, arrows flying at you from the wall traps. And uh, you're going to need to use your bullwhip to swing sometimes. That is what being an archaeologist is. Yeah, and yes. finding good bugs. <laughs> yes, and like lots of bugs and snakes and horrible things. Yeah, you're allowed to be afraid of one thing. His is snakes. Um, and of course, like it goes without saying, but uh, if you've not ever, or if you haven't recently watched the Indiana Jones films, like Harrison Ford is incredibly charming in them, you know, and he does have that great... Han Solo swagger again. How can he be? How can how can Harrison Ford's thing be that he doesn't want to be there wherever he is? And somehow we love that. It is pretty funny, and it's also true in real life. Yeah, he's like know? a handsome Larry David or something. <laughs> I I have to admire that. He's just like, yes, I'm very charming, and that's about it. Like I'm gonna go fly my airplane or whatever. Yes. The hell. he doesn't want our approval, and so we give it to him. <laughs> he's just he's such a bad boy that way. So I was watching a clip from Raiders of the Lost Ark, and this is just going to be, I'm going to do a minor rant, if you don't mind. Okay, because then after that, I want to talk about his hat. But okay, we, should, we do need to talk about the hat because it's important. Something that I miss about the adventure films of the 80s from like movies like this, or even like Goonies. I was just thinking about Goonies. Yeah, so a, lot, a lot of synergy there, is that they all had to rely on these really rich, beautiful stylized set pieces that they had to build. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so when Indy's in the temple. You don't temple, hear people talk about that. Like, what's the set piece of the movie? You don't hear people talking about that. Right. And but so, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like I'm watching the clip where Indy, he's trying to get the this golden skull idol out of this the temple. And, you know, they had to be very inventive about how they recreate the traps and recreate the the temple walls and everything. And everything is colored almost in a painterly way. Like, if you go back and look. And it just makes me sad, because if that same film had been happening today, it would all be CG. They'd have a blue filter on everything. Yeah. The place would be, like, impossibly cavernous. And you'd be like... You know, he couldn't survive that fall. He would die every time. And the stakes would always be so ridiculously perilous. And there's actually something very satisfying about um, when you're in a physical space. He was in a physical space doing physical acting. That makes it look so much more realistic when he's going from one trajectory thrill to the next you know when like the ledge crumbles and then he's trying to climb over it and then here come the arrows oh that's interesting because it's almost like now we have the worst of both worlds exactly because now only is it less artistic and less considered and framed and colored it's also um less realistic so it's it's the worst of both (laughs) and and i have 
to tell you, as someone who's like only marginally interested in action movies these days anyway, I have to tell you, like, it just bores the hell out of me. I feel like the average like airplane hangar set piece in a Marvel film is impossibly large and it takes me out of it because like, they're just like, well, we can make it CG. We're going to make it look really cool and impressive. It doesn't. It's just boring. I'm not interested in what you're doing. And I'm sitting here thinking, what's the deal with this airplane hangar that could literally be seen from space because the scale of it is just that ridiculous. Who's doing the HVAC maintenance on this airplane hangar? You know, what are your gutter and downspout situations? I know nobody built this airplane hangar. That is insane. And it just drives me crazy. And I really want to get back sometimes to the charm of actually built set pieces. And Indiana Jones films were all like that. And if you want to see that beautiful stylized adventure film, go back and watch that. And it makes his uh, like whip swinging look a lot better. Yes. Because like now Captain America tosses his shield somewhere and it's like ching, ching, ding, ding, ding. Like there's no stakes there because there's no actual physical environment for them to do their super heroic feats on. Anyway, that was my rant. Let's talk about his hat. Oh, I was just going to mention that <laughs> one of the two times my family went to Disney World uh, was when Indiana Jones was a big deal, and I really wanted an Indiana Jones hat. They only had them for adults, but for kids, they had the Dick Tracy hat. I was like, okay, but the Dick Tracy hat wasn't yellow. It was white. And so I had to get a white Dick Tracy hat while my dad got the awesome Indiana Jones hat. Well, that's just not fair. <laughs> hey, I, You know what? I think he was going to get it. I think he ended up not getting it out of guilt, but I remember him putting it on. No. <laughs> well, and that's so funny because, like, your dad really was, like, a hat guy. And that kind of hat, too. Exactly. Yeah, that's really funny. I could... And totally imagine him having had the Indiana Jones. Yeah, I think I think he was probably pretty sad he had to put it back because it was just <laughs> too too not fair. <laughs> that would have been sad though. Your sad little Dick Doesn't Tracy look head. Like Dick Tracy. <laughs> it, yeah, the being yellow was the whole thing I know. about it. That's too dumb. They could have done you a plastic one that you would have enjoyed. Exactly. Just fine. Exactly. <laughs> Number three. Who's that? He's the son of Poseidon, who's that? He's going to fly, and who's that? He's sitting in a kiddie pool in your yard. Give him a beer, it's got. Well, I do want to ask you about your your uh, kitchen renovations because I think most people probably remember we used to hound you all the time about your basement renovations, which you mm-hmm. did finish, and what you were sitting in right now. Which yeah. Is, oh, that's is- true. That's, I mean, like, I... It's probably hard to turn your camera around and give everyone a tour. You know, yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to see my office. I re-ripped out the wall and stuff. I'm making it more soundproof. You don't want to so, hear children's school anymore while you're working. It's not the school so much as the screaming and the like. <laughs> not the screaming. Well, a little bit. I mean, excitement. Child screaming, noises. Not like, child noises. Not like, yeah, yeah. So I think it's hilarious that you are once again working on your basement, like. There, there was a whole yeah, thing. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, like part two. Yeah. Well, other than that, yeah, I got the, I got the, the other rooms pretty much where I have, I wanted it. Yeah. Well, well, I think most people who listen to this are mostly long-term listeners, so they will know who Scott is. But for anybody who jumped on later, Scott was the third person in our Masters of the Universe review show, and then Scott has was also on a few of the uh, earlier episodes of uh, this show as well. And Scott also does some voices on Curdle Holler. And we like to invite Scott on this show uh, virtually for topics that he's particularly suited for. 
And we were very excited. In fact, I, I think Scott's probably the inspiration for this show, right? Yeah, this was a Will was really excited about it because it's like a Scott topic. Yeah, it's very, it's very, it amused me a lot. We had this idea. So I don't know how much extensive research you did for the, for this, but do you just want to jump in it? Do you want to do you want to tell us uh, your pick? Can I pick a show? I think I picked a show. Yeah, we've done that. We've, yeah, we've done that. It's like not a particular character, but a show. Because this show is all about grappling hooks and swinging and ropes uh -huh. and <laughs> everything that you can imagine. They do on a line, like just going from mountains and fighting wars that way. It's very odd <laughs> the way that they, the way that they do that. Um, the show is called Sky Commanders. And it's up to a rugged team of mountaineering experts led by Commander Mike Summit to stop him. Employing revolutionary new gravity lock and laser cable technology to traverse the ever-changing terrain of the high frontier, Mike Summit's Sky Commanders and General Plague's Raiders are locked in mortal combat with the fate of the entire world hanging in the balance. They all had backpacks and they all had like the thing that comes out of them. But these things were like sophisticated. You could like, um, for, I would wrap it around furniture and then take it and like put it over like on like another chair on the other side of the room. And like, of course my mom's coming in and it's like, ah! <laughs> So this was one of those toy lines that was like, they made the show to sell the toys. Except in this case, the toys happened to be like very, very good. It, it was it was super fun. I, I don't really remember the show that much. I, I after watching like an episode or two more recently uh, for research, <clears throat> it is completely 80s and everything else. But like the animation was really good and stuff. And like the storyline seemed like it was okay or better than sometimes you know, that happened. Like if they made these shows for crass reasons, but we acted like just because they were made to sell toys that the shows couldn't be good. They were good. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I, I mean it, it was. Toys. I mean, it was, you know, not to say that He-Man wasn't great or anything, but, but it was, it was, it was higher production than yeah, I was sure. He-Man, you know, instead of having a hundred okay shows, they've had, they put 12 shows together that were pretty good. A, a question <laughs> about the actual show. So my understanding correctly, that this was some sort of military special forces unit that is completely built around their roping skills. And like the whole the whole show yeah. is about this special roping unit that fights some bad guy. Is that how it, what it's about? Yeah, that's that's the gist of it. I, don't, I wouldn't go too <laughs> far it. into it. it. It had it had some crazy plot line that you're just like, wow, this is like somebody thought about this way too much. Deep in the South Pacific, a tumultuous and untamed new continent has erupted, spawned by a highly unstable new element known as Theta Seven. But, you know, they, they had these like backpack things. And the thing was, is like, once you go past the person, you would like <laughs> shoot that, you know, they would like turn around and shoot them in the back. Like, you're just like, but they would, you know, they could turn, but then I don't know. He just... stands right there. We're going <laughs> to, this mission is going to go just fine. If he stands where we put that X, this, this is going to be. I, I, I don't rough. understand why they never really like shot down the lines either, because then they would just be. You know what else you you were you were you were giving me some hints about what what you were going to pick. So I have seen the intro for the cartoon. Another thing that struck me is I am very concerned about how these guys are going down the lines. They've got uh, 
the chassis like on top of a helmet. Mm-hmm. And so they are <laughs> suspended by their necks going down this thing. So this it's all, is it's all, it's very all hooked dangerous. to the back. It's all hooked to the backpack, right? I know. The guy I saw, he was hanging by his neck all wiggly. Like <laughs> if that thing stops, he is going to be dead on the middle of his line. No, it'll just like straighten his back out real good. I, I guess. It just seems like it's like we keep we keep having neck problems in this unit. I don't know what's going on. Our chiropractor bills are just out of control. Yeah. What is going on here? It's uh, that, That's where Mechanex from. That's, that's his after. Uh-huh. Yeah, it would work. You know, so they like the, the mountains going. that they went out of, like, did they have a base in those mountains or was it just a coincidence that they just did all their roping from mountains? Like did they no, have like, I, they had a, they had a base and stuff. Okay, yeah. so like the yeah. mountains would open up and it'd be like, here we go, and they've got their little like clothesline laundry. Line yeah, and they would it, it would shoot it would like shoot out of the thing, you know, both ways. So it, I like it, that the presumably the U.S. military said there is only one way to prosecute this war, and it is through an elite fast roping grappling hook <laughs> chasm traversing military unit. That is the only way we will win this war. Exactly. getting near the end of the countdown i think this is like a really cool modern one so i'm very pleased with this um i give you elastigirl from the incredibles oh cool okay 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 so this is the mom right this is the mom yes okay the incredibles was a 2004 american computer animated comedy this was uh pixar's sixth animated feature film and it was distributed by disney right okay so that's where that came from so The Incredibles, I don't know, like I didn't realize this until today, but it was written and directed by Brad Bird. That was the same guy who wrote The Iron Giant. Uh-huh. I didn't know that. So like, and, and Ratatouille also, incidentally. And then they actually released the sequel to The Incredibles just a couple of years ago. That was in uh, 2018. So okay. there was an Incredibles 2. He also wrote that one. So I feel like this story, which is about a family of superheroes um, that has to keep it under wraps... I feel like this story doesn't get the love from everybody that they do, like when they're fawning over Pixar, you know, when people are like, oh, Pixar's that good. Yeah, they said something about the human experience. <laughs> yeah. And I cried. Like, yeah. I feel like people don't give this one enough credit, which I think this one is as good as any of them. And, you know, may, like, I'm particularly fond of this compared to other Pixar films. Uh-huh. So, whatever. Your story better be good. Like I said, it's about a family of superheroes, but it's very grounded in like real life dynamics. Like what conflicts are you actually going to have when your kids are fighting, but one has super speed and the other one can throw up force fields and they're just being terrible. And uh, you have to keep your power secret because public opinion against superheroes is at an all time low. And then you've got a husband with super strength and he's depressed because he hates working his white collar job in the suburbs. <laughs> okay. It's just like too uncomfortably real. Like, you know what I mean? This is, this is a really cute superhero story, but it's very much grounded in real emotion or, you know, real conflict. Uh-huh. I would say like the conflicts are like super well-written, I think. 
So in the beginning with Elastigirl, you know, she's only using her powers in the home for convenience. And of course, her powers that she can stretch. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, uh, her name is Helen Parr. That's like her, you know, human name. Is that Elastigirl? By the climax of Incredibles 2, she's come into her own and they don't have to hide their superhero identities anymore for reasons that the plot explains. Um, and there's this scene where she needs to stop a speeding train, right? Okay, so she's a swinger in that her whole body can stretch and move and, like, rubbery, right? Okay, I wanted to pick her for a couple of reasons. So at the climax of Incredibles 2, I, I, I haven't even seen the second one, so I don't even know what the plot is, but she needs to stop a speeding train, basically. And they write this really, really fun choreographed it's not a fight scene, but it's a chase scene where she's on a little motorcycle and she's trying to uh, cut off the train so she can get to it and then stop it. But what's really cool is that she can swing up on the platforms using her arms as the ropes. She can turn herself into like a parachute to slow herself down. She could like extend her body on the motorcycle and then swing herself up as the motorcycle breaks apart and kind of fling herself around like a throwing axe. Uh Uh-huh. So, like, she is a swing, you know, like a complete manifestation of, like, that physical freedom of yeah. being a swinger. But what's so charming about this film is that she's still, about these films, I'm assuming the second one's good, too. I don't know. Um, but what's so charming about these films is that she's still very much a mom, you know. There's a reason why Brad Bird made that choice to have the mom be elastic. It wasn't just like, what powers can they have? What are some powers? And right. they make a list, right? It's a really nice metaphor for all of the work that women do in the world, like in their families, stretching, overextending themselves in mm-hmm. order to take care of those around them, right? Being flexible to accommodate others, and then, of course, as a superhero, to save others, right? Switching over! Hey, Mom, I can't find my high tops, and Dad can't find them either, but he won't call you and ask, so why it? Do not call your mother! Dad, honey, can't talk right now, but look under your bed, okay? How much time? Less than two minutes. <sighs> and it's just an extension of... That very pure, very true, sweet characterization of her as a mom, right? I think it's a really underappreciated film. I guess you would call it a franchise at this point. I think it's an underappreciated film series. And I think she's an unappreciated swinger. So I just want to like, I just want to give some props to Elastigirl because it really is sort of the culmination of all of these years of swashbuckling themes when her instrument is her own body. Yeah, we were just talking about that mastery of the body thing. That's a great example. Yeah, and it's very cute. So I need to watch Incredibles too. is what I have learned. Before we name our top swinger, we feel compelled to list some honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. I really don't have a lot. Okay. Uh, Kim Possible had a grappling hook. Okay. We didn't have, like, we haven't talked a ton about grappling hooks, but that do they do help you like a grappling hook pistol mm-hmm. they'll help you swing She's like a city ninja yeah okay is that your is Kim Bos- uh, uh, well, we did together say Laura Croft okay but I'm not like a fan of Tomb Raider because you know pointy boobies are like not my thing so I, I, I think they got it <laughs> under control more now but yes uh, glad for them but you know 
So she has one. Okay. Okay. That's all I. I, I don't okay. really have any extras. I was going to do Simon Belmont, sort of like a Indiana Jones, same same kind of thing. He does use his rope for swinging at some kind um, of thing. Okay. I almost made this a legitimate pick, but I would have never heard the end of it. I, I don't even know if you're going to let me finish the whole thing, but let me say it. The inter- Which Transformer? The Enterprise NX-01. The, uh, it has a no. It has a rope that comes off the ship. Yeah, no, of, I know that. Instead of a, a, a tractor beam, <laughs> they had a grappling hook to like hook onto an asteroid and whip around. I, I thought actually, it was great. I read about that yesterday. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. It was, it was pretty funny. Um, I was going to say Earthworm Jim, which I loved, but I am not a fan of the creator, so I'll just credit the creative team behind that game. Um, Dick Grayson. Um, the trapeze. Oh yeah, his and his mom was a trapeze artist. Uh-huh. Well, he was too. Oh, he was, uh, too. He was born in the circus. Grayson's, yeah. And then I would say Samus, who has the grappling beam. Oh, right. Sam, I was thinking Seamus <laughs> from the WWE. I was like, is he, does he swing? In the no. new Metroid, when she takes her helmet off, they're like, oh, it's going to be that lady. And it's Seamus. Seamus. <laughs> He's like, my skin is fluorescent white. That's not how Seamus <laughs> talks. I don't, does he have an, an Irish brogue? I don't know. I don't know either. I've never listened to Seamus talk. Okay, anyway, sorry. Continue. With that, that's, that, it. that's it. All right, then. Well, who's your number one swinger of all time? Number one. All right. He appears to others as a blithe playboy, but secretly he's a dark avenger for justice. He is Batman. Yeah, <laughs> it's not Seamus. Thank goodness. Uh, I usually don't pick such an obvious name, but I got so caught up in the Zorro idea that I started thinking about how Batman can have the exact same setup but come off completely differently. Yeah, and it means something different. I thought it was I thought it was really interesting. We need a good grappling hook guy. Yeah, well, I was going to say, but so first of all, we agree he's a swinger, right? Like he's the DC Comics answer to Spider Man. He can move around the city by gliding with his cape, but the reason he's on the list is he has that grappling hook. Um, which clearly marks him as like the urban grappler we've been talking about. And I think the grappling hook is probably his best tool and makes him a superhero more than any of the other stuff he has. Like, you know, I hadn't really thought about it till we did this list, but what else does Batman have that makes him seem superhero-y of Right, his tools? like a Batarang is just, you know, it's a boomerang yeah. plus. Yeah, the Batarang's a good example of how that's not true. Yeah. Smoke only, bombs, anybody can get. And again, the Batmobile is just an awesome car. Yeah, that's like, being rich. I'm at, yeah, exactly. exactly. Elon, Elon Musk could be Batman right. by, that, by that measure. Right. So, yeah. Uh, I feel like we didn't see him use the grappling hook near as much through his whole run until the 1989 Tim Burton Batman film. I feel like that's where that really took off for him as a character. And for some reason that really stuck struck with us. Like how the Superman movie had that tagline. You'll believe a man can fly. I think it must be the same thing here where when we saw him use the grappling hook in the 89 Batman, all of a sudden, like the Batman character is more believable to us. We can kind of get our heads around. Oh, that's the kind of the thing he does. That's how he moves around the city. And is really the reason I picked him because I'm remembering that specific scene from the 89 film where he and Vicki Vale are being chased by some toughs and they have to get away. And Batman pulls out the grappling gun and instead of it feeling like a cheap getaway thing, it's actually a really raw moment where they have practical considerations. And he has to ask her, like, 
uh, how much do you weigh? Do you remember that? Oh, no, but that's funny. Um, and, and by the way, uh, so this is 1989. Uh, is it Kim Basinger? That's, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. How much do you think she said she weighed? In the, So they would say, she wouldn't say more than 120 pounds, and that's a lie. You're right. She wouldn't say more than 120 pounds. So she would say like, 110. How much do you weigh? About 108, I think. That is so full of... I have you got have to, to be tell a you. toddler. Like, it doesn't... So, uh, this... You know what? Okay, just real... I'm sorry. I'll let you talk it's about so Batman. so funny. I'll let you talk about Batman. But that was always, like, this recurring trope in, like, 80s scripts where they'd be like, how much does she weigh? And they would say she weighs, like, 120 pounds. Again, there could be, like, a, an adult woman who weighs 120 Maybe pounds. Maybe it's supposed to be funny, like, she was lying a little bit about her weight. Right. I don't know. But I'm telling you, even, like, a woman who appears to be conventionally thin and in shape, she's probably weighing... About 135 to 140 pounds. I mean, if for nothing else, then bones. Yes. I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, unless you're exceptionally petite. I'm not saying that, like, no one is ever that size. Yeah, but, but, was, but Kim Basinger 80s, was not 108 No, I was going to say, like, she's like five foot nine. Like, like no, she's 108 pounds of bones and muscle. Yeah. If that, You know what I mean? Like, it's just so ridiculous how, for the longest time, since we didn't allow women in any sort of executive positions, they'd just be like... What? How much does a lady weigh? I don't know. I've never seen a woman. 108 pounds. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't let go. Also, to extend on that point a little bit, which, if you're planning on saving people with this grappling hook, maybe leave yourself a little headroom, Batman. Like, <laughs> like if it's going to be a question of, like, anybody under 200 is going to be iffy, like... You need to get a better weight grade for that cable, maybe. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe it's not out of its testing environment I guess yet. so. And the other reason, besides it being cool that I picked him, is because I think this is like a great example of the kind of freedom that makes the urban swinger appealing. Like, when you've got that busy, dirty city that's dangerous, you dream about ways to move outside and around it. And with Batman, the grappling hook keeps him immune from anything emotional or physical that could constrain him. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Sometimes in order to serve humanity, you have to be distanced from them, Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And that's very sad it, and it beautiful. Reminds me of years ago how I felt when our car broke and I had to wait for the bus in the snow to go to work and all the rich people at my work would pass me while I was walking in the snow. And uh, <laughs> I dreamed about being Batman and getting there on a grappling hook. <laughs> I remember those days. Those people are all overextended on their second mortgages. Don't worry about them. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> grappling hood, Batman, gotta love him. Well, I, I believe that we have swung across the chasms of ignorance and we have grappled with the hooks oh. of, of knowledge. Yeah, I was just going to totally mix metaphors. I was like, we swung for the fences. I was like, <laughs> oh, that'll do. That'll do. No one's really expecting any anything more from us. Uh, yeah, I feel like that was a good introduction. A high-flying time. We heard from Scott. Had, had some... Yeah. Did Good not disappoint learning. the exact kind of zip lining that we expected from him. That's correct. Like a combat one. The, the noble traditions of zip lining. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Upheld. One thing that didn't come up that I wanted to mention, I think Scott's a good example of, is I think we got another kick in the pants with uh, swinging characters because uh, this became a viable 
action feature for toys in the 80s. Oh yeah, we didn't say web store in our on Yeah, our but that is that why that is why probably we would think of them a lot too is cuz that became a thing you could do with toys and that's why Scott would love all these and his pick was right in the middle of all that stuff. That's true. Yeah. So, we play we learn, we live, we, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> we, we learned a lot about swingers today and about ourselves. Uh, if you have thoughts about this list or your own swingers you want to tell us about, you can email us at rumors at thewizardsnightshirt.com or talk to us on social media. Rebecca, where can people follow us? Follow us on Twitter at wizardsnspod or you can visit thewizardsnightshirt.com to find out about this show and our other shows like Hurdle Holler, our original Halloween comedy series, as well as the complete archive of our Masters of the Universe review show. Oh yeah, and do and do follow us on Twitter. I do enjoy talking to folks on there. But shout, <laughs> shout at us, we'll shout back. Okay, well thanks for listening. We'll see you next week when we call forth new champions. The legends they tell of a hero Facing down fears and cutting down foes There's no resemblance to what you know When your own deeds feel humble and few Still here.